السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Someone just do a quick sound check for me, make sure everything's working okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wal-Aqibatu lil-Muttaqeen. Wal-Aqudwana illa ala al-Zalimeen. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lah. إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to Quranic Progression and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue with our tafsir of Surah Al-A'la Last week we covered I think three verses of Surah Al-A'la verses 10, 11 and 12 of the Surah and in verse 10, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Those who stand in awe of Allah azza wa jal or who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will heed the reminder. And we mentioned uh, in the tafsir of this verse, the statements of the scholars of how a person who fears Allah azza wa jal will constantly be conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will remember Allah azza wa jal. And that reminder benefits the believers in that way. And that's a... A theme, as we've as we've already mentioned, is repeated a number of pl- in a number of places in the Quran, and also then that the one who remembers Allah Azza wa Jal uh, increases in in consciousness of Allah Azza wa Jal, in mindfulness of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So it is almost cyclical, in the sense that the one who has taqwa increases in dhikr, the one who has dhikr increases in the taqwa of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and so in that way, it is a relationship. Uh, that both of those uh, both of those issues complement one another and enhance one another. In verse number eleven, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wa ashqa," but it will be ignored by the most wicked. So, therefore, this is in many ways the opposite of verse number ten, that those who are al ashqa, who are the most wretched, the most wicked of people, they are the ones who don't heed the reminder. So, if a person has fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala genuinely wants to seek guidance, wants to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah azza wa jal sees the sincerity of that individual and the efforts that they're making and he blesses those efforts and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them a part of that reminder or that guidance. Whereas someone who doesn't have necessarily that, um, that, that uh, doesn't necessarily have that desire, uh, doesn't want to engage, doesn't want to remember, doesn't want to be from amongst those people, are mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but is happy and content in their negligence and in their heedlessness and in their ignorance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then those people Allah azza wa says that they will not heed the reminder and then in verse number 12 Allah azza wa tells us but they will be the ones who will enter the great fire and as we mentioned uh, last week the statements of a number of the scholars of the salaf such as al-hasan al-basri rahimahullah ta'ala and the statement of Imam Al-Tabari alayhi rahmatullah that the Al-Nar Al-Kubra, the great fire, means the fire of the hereafter. Whereas the Nar Al-Sughra or the lesser fire is the fire of the dunya. And I think this is a topic that we've covered a number of times before in terms of some of the differences between the fire of this world and the fire of the next life. 
And so I don't think that's something which we need to repeat again. So today, inshallah ta'ala, we begin with verse number 13, or we continue with verse number 13. And that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ثم لا يموت فيها ولا يحيا where they will never, neither die nor live. And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim, um, the translation of Sahih International, neither dying therein nor living. Mufti Thaqi, then he will neither die therein nor live a desirable life. And Muhsin Khan, there he, he will neither die, in brackets to be in rest, nor live, in brackets, a good living. So this verse is, uh, is, con- is a continuation of the previous verses. So verse 11, 12, and then 13 are continuation of one another. So Allah Azza in verse number 11, as we mentioned, says, الْأَشْقَى The most wicked, the most wretched, they will not heed the reminder. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions the one who will, uh, or, or what their outcome will be, what their consequence will be. And that is that their resting place, their final abode, where they will spend eternity, is Anar al-Kubra, the great fire. So now Allah Azzawajal describes the existence of those people in Annar al-Kubra, in the Great Fire. So, and this is also a topic I think which we've touched upon previously in some of the surahs that we've covered. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the Quran, when he speaks about the existence of the people of the fire in the fire, he denotes or he, de- he, uh, he, uh, de- uh, he in every single way negates from them any type of comfort, any type of pleasure, any type of living. That is something which they will enjoy or something that they will find any type of, of comfort in or rest in or any type of joy or ease in. All of that stuff is negated from the people of the fire in various different ways in the Quran. And we've given examples of this previously in, for example, Surah Al-Fajr, I think, and Surah Al-Ghashiyah and in other surahs of the Quran that we've covered. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does this because it is the belief of some people and the thinking of other people that just because they're going into the fire, oh, it can't be all bad, or it can't, it can't necessarily be that bad. So we've had examples of this, for example, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning the Jews that some of them said, They said that the fire will not touch us except for a limited number of days, as if even a day is something which is bearable when it comes to the punishment of the fire. Oh, it's only going to be a few days and then we'll come out. Yes, Allah will punish us because of certain things that we have done and certain uh, certain commands that we have broken and so on. But that's only going to be a few, few days and then we are the chosen slaves of Allah. Allah will remove us and he will enter us into the fire, uh, enter us into paradise. So Allah mentions this in the Quran. Uh, and it is also, the uh, you know, you probably come across certain people who don't have Iman or who have a very low and weak level of Iman. That they will say, even if you go into the fire, we'll just burn up and, just, and then we'll just die. Or I have even heard people say, you know, non-Muslims, oh, if I'm going to be in the fire with people like, you know, Michael Jackson, I know that's like a very old reference now, um, but that shows my age. People like Michael Jackson and people like other, other, other stars, pop stars and movie actors and, and actresses and so on, then that's okay because I'll be in their company. As if it's going to be a club or a, socially, uh, a social place where people will interact or some type of place where people would chill. That type of concept is something which people have, right? It's something which people have. And so therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, throughout the Qur'an, He negates from them all of these types of issues. Lest the person may, may think, that, oh, if I'm going to be in that company, I don't really mind. If that's what the fire is, then it can't be that bad. 
or it can't be something which is unbearable or it will be a limited type of fire or it's some type of psychological thing some type of, of sim symbolic thing where the fire just means oh it's a bit of a hard life or a bit of difficulty or a bit of hardship or it's something symbolic and so therefore it's not actually fire as a literal fire but something which symbolizes a type of hardship or a type of distress all of these types of things that you find that people will say and that the notions that people have that even if it exists then it must be like this or like that and they give it some type of uh, some type of logical uh, explanation or some type of uh, you know some type of, of philosophical uh, philosophical angle that they place on it that they think that it will, will be something which will be bearable however Allah Azza wa if we were to contemplate over the Quran we were to focus on these verses one of the things that we would find is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates from the people of the fire any of this even the smallest amount of comfort and the smallest amount of pleasure the smallest amount of rest the tiniest most minuscule amount is something which you will find that Allah negates from the people of the fire on Yom Al-Qiyamah. They will not be given even that much. And even if you look at, for example, before the fire, from the very moment that the soul leaves the body, if it is a soul that it is wretched, then the Sharia from the very off, from the very beginning of the soul leaving the body, because that is the time when, okay, it's over now. Before that, there's always a chance that someone accepts Islam, someone takes guidance, someone makes, someone makes tawbah. That door is open. And so the Sharia doesn't place that type of, you know, it speaks in general terms about the disbelievers and so on. It doesn't say so-and-so is going to be like this or like that. But once the soul leaves the body, then that's it. That person's chance of, of seeking guidance or accepting Islam is over. The Sharia then describes that wretched soul in a certain way. From that very moment, the Sharia speaks about them. And that is why, for example, the Prophet said, even describing the janazah, the funeral procession, the carrying of the body and the lifting of the body and the taking of that body to the, uh, to the graveyard. The Prophet said, as I'm sure most of you are aware, it's a well-known hadith, that he said, hasten the, the funeral prayer, hasten the funeral, meaning the whole, the whole process of the funeral, the, the shrouding, the washing, the, the burial, all of this, hasten it. He said, وسلم, because if that body or that soul that you are carrying that in the body, if it is a righteous soul, then it is towards good that you are taking it. So hasten it, because it's going towards the life of the hereafter. It's going towards the life of the barzakh in the grave. And Allah will honor it and Allah will reward it and bless it and so on. It is good that it's going to, so hasten it. And if it is an evil soul, he said, وسلم, then it is an evil that you are lifting off your shoulders, meaning you're, you're, you're essentially you know, getting respite from this type of soul that is evil. And so if that's the case, then just get rid of it because it's not something which you want to keep on your shoulders for very long. And so the Sharia from that very moment starts to speak about that soul that was a disbelieving soul, a wretched soul, a wicked soul. It starts to address and speak about them in a certain way. Like for example, when the Prophet وسلم, said in the long hadith of Al-Bara ibn Wa'azib, when he spoke about the journey of the soul in the grave, the Prophet speaks about the journey of that soul and he describes the believing soul and the disbelieving soul. But when it comes to the disbelieving soul, he said وسلم, that that soul will be, uh, it will be shrouded in the worst of shrouds and it will be given the worst of odors and it will be called by the worst of names by which that person was known. The worst of names. So even in that way, to that extent, 
even the worst of names that a person was known by, that is the way that they will be addressed in that grave. And so everything from the name, from the identity, from the way that it's treated, from the shroud, from the covering, from the perfume, from every single thing concerning that soul is something which you will see that the Sharia negates from it any type of honor, any type of blessing. And if that is in things like name, and in things like scent, and in things like clothing or covering, then what about what is in the, in its very essence, the punishment that Allah Azza wa Jal has prescribed for such people for all of time. And so the Sharia does this. You find this throughout the Quran and throughout the Sunnah. And the opposite is also the true when you look at the believing soul. It is from the very moment of the soul being released from the body or being taken from the body that the Sharia now speaks in terms of that soul of being honored and blessed and, and, and rewarded and so on. And that is because just as the disbelieving soul didn't take, uh, didn't accept guidance, didn't repent to Allah Azza wa in this lifetime and now that door is closed, then likewise the believing soul passed the test of the dunya. They believed in Allah and they remained steadfast and they worshipped and obeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then the moment of death came upon them and they died upon that. So now they have by Allah's permission and His mercy passed through that test. And so from that very moment now the Sharia begins to honor them. The Quran and the Sunnah speak about it in honorific terms, in blessed terms, in, in terms of reward and in terms of, of further bounty and grace from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so you find both of these uh, and it's a very interesting thing that it, to actually look at the, the way that the Sharia addresses and speaks about the journey of the soul after death from and, and even before Yom Al-Qiyamah just through the whole process of the Janazah and the, the life of the Barzakh and all of this stuff it is something which, uh, which, which shows the way that the Sharia honors the, uh, one group and dishonors the other so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ثُمَّ لَا يَمُوتُ فِيهَا وَلَا يَحْيَا these people will neither live nor will they die. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, ثُمَّ لَا يَمُوتُ فِي النَّارِ الْكُبْرَى وَلَا يَحْيَى These people will live in the existence of the great fire. They will not die therein, nor will they live. And he said, and that's because the soul of one of them, it is as if it is in a never-ending circle. A never-ending circle. فَلَا تَخْرُجُوا فَتُفَارِقَهُ فَيَمُوتُ so that soul will never be able to leave the body, meaning on Yom Al-Qiyam in the fire, it is the body and the soul that are both being punished. That is something which we find in the verses of the Qur'an and in the Sunnah. That it is not just the soul that is being punished, as opposed to the life of the grave, because the body disintegrates as we know. The body is something which disintegrates in the grave, and so therefore it doesn't exist. It is the soul that is being tormented. But on Yom Al-Qiyam, Allah Azza wa Jalla will resurrect people in life or in body and in soul. And so when they are being punished in the fire, it is upon both. And that is why the Qur'an, for example, speaks about the skin of the people on, uh, in the fire. It speaks about the testimony that will be given by the hands and by the eyes and by the ears and by the legs and so on. All of this is to show that it is body and soul. So he says that these people will be in the fire almost in a circular life, in the sense that the soul can never leave that body so they cannot die. No will it ever settle in, the, in its place in the body that it may live a meaningful life. And that is why in, in the translations that we, uh, that we mentioned, a number of them said, they will not live a good life, meaning that it is an existence. Yes, they're living, but it's not anything that we would consider to be a good life. And that is why some of the scholars of Tafsir, they said, لا يموت فيها 
that soul will not die therein or that person will not die therein, meaning in the fire, so that they can seek respite, they can just rest, they can be get, get done with it. And that is something which Allah Azza wa mentions that from the, uh, from the pleas of the people of the fire is when they will call out to Malik, who is the guardian of the fire from the angels. And they will say, as Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran, They will say, O Malik, call upon your Lord that he should destroy us. That he should just give us death and that he should simply destroy us. And he will say in response, But rather you will remain therein forever. So this is what some of the scholars said. They cannot die, so therefore we seek respite. Because if you're being punished continuously, if you die, you cease to exist. At the very least, that pain and that torment and that punishment is something which you are then saved from. But those people will neither die in order to seek respite, nor will they live a life of any type of pleasure or benefit. Because the whole point of life is that you can enjoy certain things, even in the hard, most difficult and hardest of lives, there are still moments of enjoyment, moments when you're with people whom you love, moments that you enjoy certain things like food and drink and rest, moments that you will have certain types of enjoyment and respite. But those people will have nothing. It will be devoid from them. Anything which is considered to be, uh, you know, it is considered to be um, anything which is beneficial. And so when Allah Azza negates from them life, it is not an affirmation that they die within the fire, but rather it is a negation of them having anything meaningful that we would ascribe to life. So anything meaningful that we would ascribe to life. So when we say that something's living, there's a number of things that we that we have in our mind in terms of benefits and in terms of certain things that can be achieved and what have you. But those people, they will have no type of, uh, no type of life that is meaningful that they will benefit from, that they will take any type of comfort or, or or or, or peace from. And that is why some of the scholars of Tafsir they said that Allah Azza wa Jalla when He says ثم لا يموت فيها ولا يحيا, wherein they will neither neither die nor live. He said some of them said some of the scholars of Tafsir لأن العرب because the Arabs كانت إذا وصفت الرجل بوقوع في شدة شديدة قالوا له حي ولا هو ميت. The Arabs amongst them it was it was common that if someone was in a severe calamity, was in a severe trial and test, they would say to that person, he's neither living nor dead. That's something which they would say uh, in, as a phrase, as a, as a term to describe someone who's going through a very difficult patch, who's just going through trial and trial after trial and trial, or going through a, a, great, a great amount of difficulty. Um, yeah, a great amount of difficulty. And so Allah says, So those scholars said, So Allah used a similar statement to show the existence of the people of the fire. So because the Arabs would say, someone who's in that situation isn't living, isn't dead. And so Allah used that to describe the people of the fire, that they will have this type of existence in which there is complete misery and utter misery and it is all punishment and pain and torment and therefore it is something which neither they live in nor do they really die in. And so when we look at the Sunnah therefore or and the Quran, we find that the people of the fire who go into the fire, they are described as uh, as being given a type of existence. The existence for the people of the fire who are its permanent uh, inhabitants, the people who will live there forever 
and remain therein. May Allah save us and our families from that. Uh, those people, they are described in this way, neither living nor dead. As for the people who are from the believers, from the Muslims who may enter the fire for a period of time that Allah decrees in order for their sins to be cleansed, then they are also described as being in the fire and uh, having a type of death therein. Meaning that the fire, because it consumes everything within it, that person that's being punished in it is consumed by that punishment. It is a type of, not death in the sense that the soul leaves the body and whatever, but it is described as being a like a death, like a death of sorts. And that is because, again, that person is just continuously in, uh, in, in extreme difficulty. So, for example, uh, in the hadith in Sahih Muslim, the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu an, he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, as for the people of the fire, the Prophet said, as for the people of the fire who are its people, meaning its permanent inhabitants, then they will neither live therein nor will they die. As for those people who are punished by the fire as a result of their sins and their errors. So those are the people of Iman now. So as we said before, it is the Aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah and Jama'ah that from the people amongst the Muslims, there are those who may, if Allah chooses, enter into the fire to be punished and then Allah will remove them from that punishment once they have been cleansed of their sins. And there are a number of hadith that speak about that. For example, the hadith of Shafa'ah, the narrations that speak about the intercession of the Prophet and the intercession of the believers and so on, speak about those groups of people who are in the fire being punished for their sins. And from those hadith is the hadith of the final person to ever leave the fire of hell. And the final person therefore to enter into Jannah, into paradise. That is another example. So that's something which is established in the Sunnah in terms of this being a principle. So he said, وسلم, as for these people who are being punished in the fire as a result of their sins, for you meet to him imata. They will suffer within it a death, meaning that their existence is something which is complete cons- consumption in, in the fire. Until they become like dry charcoal, then they will be, it will be allowed, or Allah will allow intercession on their behalf. Allah will allow intercession on their behalf. And as we know, the intercession on Yawm Al-Qiyam has a number of conditions, and we will mention this as we come to verses of the Quran that speak about the Shafa'a more directly. But um, from those conditions is that it can only take place when Allah wills. So, for example, someone may ask, okay, this is a believer, he enters into the fire, why can't they just give intercession straight away, immediately, right? So, you know, within a few moments or an hour or two or a day, Allah says, okay, intercede for him, and he comes out or she comes out. No, the intercession can only take place as and when Allah allows. And Allah must be pleased with the one making the intercession, and he must be pleased with the one on on whose behalf the intercession is being made. And so therefore, only Allah Azza wa decrees when that is being done. So this is what the hadith is saying. For you meet imata, hatta idha saru fahman. They will die within it a death until they become like charcoal. So they're living or they're staying, residing therein for a while. Udhina fi shafa'a. Allah will then say, now you may intercede for them. Fajee'a bihim dhaba'ir dhaba'ir. So they will come out as groups. They will come out in groups, not all in one go. But Allah Azza wa allow. And other hadith speak about this in more detail. For example, the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah will say, 
whosoever in their heart has the likes of one dinar, a gold coin of iman, then bring them out, and then half a dinar, and then and and, the, and so the hadith goes down in stages and levels, and so they don't all come out equally, because not all of them are equal in their sin, not all of them are equal in their levels of iman, and so they come out group by group. So they will then be given life through the rivers of Jannah. And it will be said, O oh, people of Jannah, come and take these people, greet them, grab them. And then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so they will emerge, meaning these people of the fire have come out like burnt charcoal, meaning there is hardly anything left of them. They will re-emerge, they will grow like a seed grows after in the in the fertile soil after a flood. So as we know when there's flooding, uh, the flood once the river or the water goes down, the silt that remains, which is the soil that has come from the riverbed, it is something which is extremely fertile. And it is weak in itself because it is from the riverbed. But at the same time, things within it can grow very quickly. And so this is the example that the Prophet ﷺ gave to them. They will grow as quickly as this small seed that grows in the silt after a flood comes upon the land. And so uh, the, the hadith then concludes, So one of the people who heard the statement of the Prophet ﷺ commented and said, it's as if the Prophet ﷺ was in the desert because he's speaking about these issues of you know flooding and silt and growing of seeds as if he's out in the desert, out in, 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 in the open and he can see this type of stuff happening and this hadith is in Sahih Muslim. And so therefore that shows that these people will have that type of existence in the fire and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then allows them to come back to life. And in other hadith, uh, these people that are given this type of existence or they're allowed to revive themselves uh, in, in some hadith in some narrations it is known as the river that they will go into is known as Nahrul Hayah, the river of life and they will go therein and that and they, as they come out they will be uh, they will re-emerge as if they were you know completely untouched in terms of the fire and in terms of its punishment and so on and that is from the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his mercy upon them so that when they go into Jannah they may enjoy everything within Jannah because it's bliss is something as we mentioned before it is perfect so everyone that enters into Jannah has the complete and perfect blessing of Jannah even if before that time they were in the fire for for a period so it's not the case that the people who come in later are coming in damaged coming in injured coming in burnt and so they enjoy from Jannah only certain things because they're still in a level of pain or a level of injury and so on. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, now that they have fulfilled that punishment or they have taken, their time has been fulfilled within the fire, Allah azza wa jalla now greets them and he, and, he, uh, and he gives to them the full and complete blessings of Jannah once they have entered into, into Jannah. And so uh, in other hadith, the Prophet said that these people are known as Jahannamiyun. They are known as the former people of the fire. Some narrations, they are, this is what they are named, those people who entered into the fire and then by the mercy of Allah they left. The, in some hadith, they are known as the Jahannamiyun. They are the people of the former people of the fire. This is what they will be known as in, in Jannah by way of description and by way of a title. 
in verse number 14, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and he says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ Prosperous are those who purify themselves. And that is the translation of Professor Abdul Harim. Uh, Sahih International, he has certainly succeeded who purifies himself. Mufti Taqi, success is surely achieved by him who purifies himself. And Muhammad Muhsin Khan, indeed, whosoever purifies himself and then in brackets, by avoiding polytheism and accepting Islamic monotheism, close brackets, he said, shall achieve success. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says in verse number 14, Now that Allah has spoken about those people of the fire and their existence therein and their punishment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the prosperity and success of the other group. And he says, Prosperous are those who purify themselves. One of the um, things that the Sharia focuses upon in the Quran and the Sunnah, you will find it is from the themes that, are, that is repeated and one of the focuses of the Sharia is what we commonly call tazkiyatun nafs, which is purification of the soul, of the heart. And the Sharia, uh, it is a generic term, it is something which encompasses all of Islam, because tazkiyatun nafs includes purifying your soul from shirk and from evil and from false ideology and theology. And so part of it is Tawheed and belief in Allah Azza wa Jal, the correct belief and how to understand the names and attributes of Allah and understand your belief in Allah and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Quran and the angels and the Day of Judgment and predestiny and all of those issues. And from it is the action part of Tazkiyah to Nafs. So doing those things such as, for example, giving Zakah because Zakah means to purify your wealth. And likewise, praying because it purifies you from sin and making wudu and hajj and all of those good deeds that we have and from that also is to purify your character then purifying your character from evil traits and mannerisms and those attributes that that are not becoming of a muslim and so those are all things that you will find within the quran and the sunnah in various ways that it speaks about allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is essentially summarizing this and that's why the scholars used to focus on this issue greatly tazkiyah to nafs softening the heart uh, looking at these issues of of how to and, and 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 this is I think sometimes a problem that we have today in in Islamic scholarship or in students of knowledge and, and, and Muslims in general and that is that we often think for example that aqidah is a dry subject theology is something which is a technical dry subject it's all about groups and all no actually tazkiyah uh, aqidah is one of the most important if not the most important science that you need in order to purify your soul because what good is it if your character is nice and you're a person who has ibadah and so on, but you're involved in innovation, you don't understand your aqidah, you're making major errors and mistakes in terms of your belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and because of that, you may be at liable for sin. You're doing things that are not legislated by Allah, you're worshipping Allah not in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet, you're doing all sorts of things and all sorts of problems that you're causing yourself with. And so, from the greatest means of purifying your soul is to understand your belief when it comes to your religion. And that is why the Prophets of Allah focused on this more than anything else. They focus on this aspect of Tawheed and Aqeedah and belief because it is essential to purifying the soul. But generally the scholars of Islam would write books on purification of the soul and Iman and, and these types of issues because they are extremely important. And it's something which, uh, you know, like unfortunately we don't really focus on that much or if we focus upon it, uh, it's not considered to be, you know, it's considered to be just one of those wishy-washy kind of subjects and so on. But it's actually, actually it's important. Uh, but I don't know many people who teach in this holistic way. So people 
will focus on tazkiyah to nafs in terms of the manner, the manner and character issue. Or for example, tazkiyah to nafs in terms of softening the heart and so on. But in terms of the whole thing of belief and action and character and everything else, that's something which you don't always find. Uh, but it is something which is important. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stresses here, The one who is able to purify themselves, then they have achieved success. They have achieved success. Why? Because they purify themselves in terms of their belief, their action, and their character. And what more is there to do in terms of a person uh, needing to achieve and attain success in this world than perfecting and, and working on those three issues? That is why you will find in the tafsir of this verse uh, differences amongst the scholars of tafsir in the way that they made tafsir amongst the salaf, even though essentially it is speaking about one of the same thing. And so because the issue of tizkiyah, of purification of the soul and so on, is something which is, as I said, a holistic thing of belief and action and ibadah and so on, then you will find some of the self spoke about one aspect, another spoke about another aspect and so on. And that is therefore by way of example. So for example, in this, uh, in this verse, a number of the scholars of the salaf, rahmatullah, scholars of tafsir, Rahimahumullah, in the tafsir of this verse, they describe the tazkiyah part here, the purification part, to do with belief and to do with action. So for example, Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhumah said, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ تَزَكَّى مَنْ تَزَكَّى مِنَ الشِّرْكِ He is successful, the one who purifies themselves. He said, radiyallahu anhumah, purification from shirk. So that is an aspect of belief. Similar uh, to this is the statement of Ikrimah, Rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, in the tafsir of this verse, it is to say La ilaha illallah. So therefore, again, it is to do with belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and correcting your theology. Uh, another said that it is to do with action, right? Righteous deeds. Al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, Qad aflaha man tazakka man kana amaluhu zakiya. Whosoever's actions are pure. And in order for actions to be pure, they must be with sincerity, performed with sincerity and in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala said, Bi'amalin salih, the one who is prosperous is the one who purifies themselves with, he said, righteous deeds, or bi'amalin wa wara, the one who does good deeds and they have wara, meaning they stay away from those things that they think will be detrimental to their hereafter in terms of gaining reward and so on. And so that's one position that you find amongst the scholars of tafsir, that it is generally your belief, your good deeds, your actions and so on. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said in his uh, position of the of the, the tasir of this verse, he said, قَدْ أَنْجَحَ وَأَدْرَكَ طِلْبَتَهُ مَنْ تَطَهَّرَ مِنَ الْكُفْرِ وَمَعَاصِ اللَّهِ وَعَمِلَ بِمَا أَمْرَهُ اللَّهُ بِهِ فَأَدَّى فَرَائِضًا He said the one who is successful is the one who is able to purify themselves from disbelief and disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they act in accordance with that which Allah azza wa has commanded so they fulfill their obligations and essentially that's because as we will mention other scholars of tafsir had slightly different tafsir imam tabri as he often does when a verse is generic and it can include all of those positions of the scholars of tafsir he combines them all in his own position that he chooses as opposed to picking one over another because as we've said before they're not necessarily contradicting one another they are complementing each other and by way of complementing each other therefore you see that this is one aspect of the tazkiyah of the purification of the soul and that's another aspect of the tazkiyah and that's the third aspect and so on uh, and that is why Ibn Kathir said something very similar as well he said 
the, the one who purifies themselves is the one who purifies themselves from any type of characteristic that is unworthy. And they follow that which Allah revealed to his Prophet So this is one tafsir, the tafsir of a being belief and righteous deeds and so on. Another tafsir that you will find amongst some of the scholars of, of the Salaf rahimahumullah, is that it speaks about a particular action and that is the action of zakah. And that is because as we know zakah is something, you know, the, the, the pillar of Islam zakah is something which purifies. As we know it purifies your wealth, it purifies your soul, it purifies a number of things. And so therefore some of them said that that's what it's referring to. And again, this is by way of a specific examples as opposed to saying all good deeds and so on. They are speaking about a specific example. And zakah, as we know, is something which purifies a person in terms of these issues that we just mentioned. So, for example, um, Abu al-Ahwas, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the scholars of the Salaf. Abu al-Ahwas is a famous scholar of, of hadith. And he has some statements in tafsir as well, but he's a well-known narrator of hadith. So you will find him in many of the books of hadith as a narrator, Abu al-Ahwas. And he was from uh, the teachers of the likes of Ibn Abi Shayba. Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shayba and Waqi' ibn al-Jarrah and Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi and Hanad ibn al-Sari rahimahumullah and others like a number of the scholars of, of the, the Salaf and, and that generation ibn Abi Shayba and Hanad and others this is the generation above Imam al-Bukhari just to give you an issue an, an indication of the timeline and people like Waqi' ibn al-Jarrah uh, you know from the teachers of Imam al-Shafi'i and Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi is Likewise, from that generation of Imam al-Shafi'i and so on. And so he was a teacher to this level of scholars. So he is senior in terms of age to them and so on. Uh, and he's anyway, he's a well-known narrator of hadith. He said, in terms of the, um, in terms of the, of the, of this verse, he said, it is to do what you can in terms of giving your zakah and then to stand and to pray. It is the one who gives zakah and prays. And that is because prayer is also from the purification of the soul. It is something which purifies a person. As the Prophet said, وسلم, in the example that he gave of the five daily prayers, he said that if one of you was to have a river running at the back of their property and you were to go and bathe therein five times a day, would any dirt remain on you? He said, no, O Messenger of Allah. He said, وسلم, then that is the example of the five daily prayers. Every time you pray, it's like going and washing yourself in a river, immersing yourself in a river. You do that five times a day, you're going to be extremely clean. And even if you were to have some dirt upon you, because you're doing it so regularly every day, then there is something which will continuously cleanse you. And that is why in another of his uh, statements, Abu Lahwa said concerning the tafsir of this verse, he said, uh, if, one, if, if, um, if someone... Comes to you. If someone comes to you and they ask you for financial help, they ask you for money, and you're about to pray, let him give some zakah or some charity before he prays. Because Allah says, prosperous or successful is the one who purifies themselves. And they mention or remember the name of their Lord and they pray. <clears throat> and that is the next verse uh, and obviously there is a link between the two and so this is the statement of Abu Ahwas and so he said Allah Azza links between the two and so therefore it is something which you should do and so he said whosoever can give zakah alongside their salah it is something which is good 
uh, it is good to do. And whether that's zakah in terms of the obligatory charity or zakah in terms of the uh, or, or sadaqah in terms of the voluntary charity. And that is why the sharia often, as you know, combines between these two pillars of Islam, salah and zakah, aqimus salah wa atu zakah. Establish the prayer, give the zakah. It is something which is repeated many times within the Quran. And that is because of the close link between them. One is completely physical in terms of its actions and in terms of its purification. It is something which humbles you when you stand before Allah placing your head upon the ground in prostration, bowing. All of these things have within them humility and humbleness. And the other one is, well, a zakah, a charity that you give in terms of giving your heart and wealth and cash that you've earned, that you've worked for, that you've sweated over, and you give it with nothing in ret- for nothing in return to those who are less fortunate, to those who are needy and poor and others, and you do so willingly. And so that purifies the soul as well, purifies your wealth, purifies the soul, purifies your actions, and purifies you in terms of the sins and so on. And so that is something which you therefore find that the Sharia closely combines between these two. Pillars of Islam are often, uh, often joined within the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why from the understanding and from the knowledge and the fiqh of Abu Bakr radiallahu an, after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when certain people refused to pay zakah and they wanted to make a distinction between these two pillars that yes, we'll continue to pray, but zakah was only for the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He fought them and he waged war against them because he said that essentially they have disbelieved in the Quran and the Sunnah. That the Quran and the Sunnah doesn't make that distinction. So by making that distinction, they have rejected the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet And so that is from his understanding of the Sharia and all of the companions agreed with him and they had unanimous consensus upon this issue. And so this is what you will find uh, amongst uh, amongst the scholars that they uh, that some of them said concerning that it is referring to zakah of physical zakah. And one of the reasons that they said this also is because of the next verse that we will cover inshallah ta'ala uh, maybe this week or next week. And that is that Allah in the next verse says فَصَلَّى and praise. And so when Allah mentions prayer, then some of them said that also therefore the zakah that is being mentioned here or the zakah that is being mentioned here refers to the physical act of giving zakah and purifying your wealth. And that is one of the meanings. Because as we said, the more generic meaning that we mentioned as, as being the first position of the likes of Imam al-Tabari and others, Ibn Abbas and Ikriman and those other scholars, they combine between belief and between action. And so if you combine between belief and action, then no doubt one of those actions is the action of giving zakah, and it is from the greatest of them. Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala also has a statement on, uh, concerning this. Uh, and Qatada also said that it's to do, with, you know, he's one of the, the scholars that we quoted from, on the first position, and that is that it's referring to every type of good deed. But he also has a, a statement of his that he said, He's the one who gives zakah from his wealth, and he pleases his Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, his creator. And that's therefore, that's why you see that if Qatada says something that is more generic, goes towards more of the first position, then he has another statement that is more towards the second position, then it is likely that there is no contradiction. Qatada wouldn't say, have one position today or another position tomorrow. Like he is not contradicting himself, but he is giving one example here and one example there, as we've mentioned before. And so that is therefore the position of some of the scholars of Tafsir. The third position uh, concerning this verse, Prosperous or successful are those who purify themselves 
is that it is even more specific than zakah. And that is that they're referring to zakatul fitr. The zakah that is given at the end of the month of Ramadan, as you know, after the month of fasting, towards the very end, before the Eid prayer, the Eid day, before the morning of the Eid, before you go to pray at the very latest, and you can give it a couple of days, two, three days before that time, it is wajib, it is an obligation upon every single Muslim that is able, has the financial means to do so, that they give zakah, that they give zakatul fitr. And it is a sa'ah, a measurement from the time of the Prophet wasallam, a number of handfuls of a staple food, like rice or dates or barley or wheat or whatever it is that the people eat in that particular locality or in that particular country or land. And that is something which the Prophet wasallam made obligatory upon everyone. He made it obligatory upon the males and the females, the free people, the slaves, the, the old, the young. So even those people who don't normally fast because they're too young, the Prophet said they have to give Zakatul Fitr as well. To the extent that it was a position of Uthman ibn Affan عن, that he would say that if the mother is pregnant, the child in the womb, you should pay Zakatul Fitr for that child as well. That was his position. And so it's something which all of the family, all of the people that are your, are your dependents in your family, all of them, irrespective of their uh, situation and irrespective of their age and, and, and so on, you give zakat on their behalf. So that is zakatul fitr. Some of the scholars of tafsir said that that is what is being referred to here. Sa'id ibn Musayyab, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of the tabi'een, from the major scholars of the tabi'een, and from the great scholars of, of Medina, and, and, and from the major students of the likes of Abu Hurair radiallahu an and, and others, he said that it's referring to zakatul fitr. Uh, and similar to this is the statement of Abu Aliyah, who we've mentioned before from the scholars of the Tabi'een also. He said, uh, one of his students said that Abu Aliyah said to me, uh, if you go tomorrow, tomorrow is Eid, it was going to be Eid the next day. If you go tomorrow to Eid for Murrabi, then pass by me. So he said that I passed by him the next day and he said to me, uh, have you eaten anything? I said, yes. He said, have you drank anything? Meaning had water. I said, yes. He said, so then tell me, what did you do in terms of your zakah, meaning zakatul fitr? He said, I have given it, I have paid it. So he said, this is why I wanted you to come here first. I wanted to remind you of this. And that is, and then he recited the verse, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ He said, indeed, the people of Medina don't know of a sadaqah, a charity, that is greater or better than this sadaqah, which is zakatul fitr, and from giving people water, by giving and providing people with water. And so he's also, so you have Sayyid al-Musayyab and you have Abu Aliyah, that in their tafsir they made it about zakatul fitr. And likewise, the famous khalif of the Muslims and imam of the Muslims and, and, and scholar in his own right, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was not only the famous khalifa who ruled from the years 99 to 101 of the hijrah, from the Umayyad dynasty, but he was also from the major scholars of his time. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was known for his knowledge and for his fiqh and for his understanding and for his uh, for his uh, knowledge of hadith and, and narrations and so on. From the major scholars of his time, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, he used to, it is said that when he was the the the, uh, the Amir al-Mu'mineen, the leader of the believers, he would go to the people and he would command them to give zakat al-fitr, which is also known as Sadaqatul Fitr also. And he would recite this verse to them, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ تَزَكَّى 
So we said the issue of zakah is something which some of the scholars said, and they said zakatul mal, which is your general zakah of wealth. And others specified it even more. And they specified it to zakatul fitr, and the reason seems to be that Allah knows best, because that is the only zakah that is directly linked to a salah. And so in the next verse, in verse 15, because Allah says, and those who then remember the name of their Lord and they pray, because there is a direct direct link between those two issues, then some of the scholars said that it is zakatul fitr because it is the only zakat that is linked to a salah directly. So normally if you're going to give zakat any time of the year, you go and give any zakat. It's not linked to a prayer. So you'll give it, for example, on the 2nd of Ramadan or the 30th of Shawwal or the 5th of Muharram. Or it's not linked to a salah per se. You do it on any day at any time. Although some of the scholars perhaps you know, would say that you link it just before a salah that you're going to uh, pray and, and, and you're going to offer, as we saw in the statement of uh, Abu Lahwas. However, here, these scholars are actually linking it to a prayer because this zakah is linked to a prayer, and that is the prayer of Eid. So this zakah is linked to a prayer, not because it's just the way that your zakah worked out or it's convenient for you or whatever. No, Allah actually linked this zakah to a prayer, and that is the, the prayer of Eid al-Fitr. And so that is that seems to be the reason why some of the scholars specified that this is the zakat that is being referred to. Either way, this position and the one before it that it's zakat or zakatul fitr, both of them uh, come under the general uh, position of the first uh, first opinion that we mentioned, and that is that it's referring to purifying your theology, your belief in Allah Azza wa Jalla, belief in terms of your religion, and all of the good deeds that you perform in terms of purifying your action and your character and so on. And that is why. Scholars like Tabari and Ibn Kathir and others, they chose that generic position because it encompasses all of these statements of the Salaf alayhim rahmatullahi ta'ala. So I think we will inshallah ta'ala conclude there today uh, because then uh, the next uh, couple of verses inshallah ta'ala we can, we can go with next week bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. So if there's any questions uh, we can take them. If not then inshallah ta'ala we will conclude for today. question is um, what is the ruling for those who can't afford to give zakat al-fitr then there is no zakat upon them so zakat al-fitr is only wajib and obligatory upon those people who have the means to give it so they can financially afford to do so so you give the zakat al-fitr to the poor the poor obviously don't have to give zakat al-fitr because obviously then it wouldn't make sense that they have to give a zakat that they can't afford so zakat al-fitr from its conditions isn't like the other types of zakat that you have to for example have a minimum amount and a year has to pass and so on and so forth but from its conditions is that you must have enough for yourself and your family that you're comfortable that you can give to others if you can't have if you don't have enough for yourself and your family you're poor you're destitute and so on then zakah wouldn't be uh, due upon you and uh, you would be a recipient of that zakah instead okay barakallahu feekum inshallah ta'ala we will um, conclude there وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته